So I think if I put the car on autopilot, I'd end up at St. Feet. (laughs) It has been a joy to be with you uh, on not only the Sunday, of course, but these four Wednesday nights. Thank you for those who have been out every meeting. Do appreciate your faithfulness and what an encouragement that is. Could you turn with me, please, to what is probably the most familiar passage in all of the Bible, and that's Psalm number 23. Psalm number 23. If you maybe just opened your Bible or let it fall open, there's a good chance that we'd open at Psalm 23. You know it off by heart, and in fact many preachers avoid it because of its over-familiarity. But we've been thinking of the psalmist David. And we looked at David in a day of famine, Second Samuel 21. We looked at David in a day of loneliness, Psalm 142. We looked at David in a day of battle, and we looked at David and Goliath in Second Samuel 17. And then David in the day of harvest, we looked at Second Samuel 23. And then last week, uh, we looked at David in the day of worship. And we looked at 2 Samuel 6. Tonight, our topic is David in a day of reflection. And probably there's no better passage to turn to as David reflects on his life than Psalm 23. I imagine David lying on a grassy bank, uh, watching over his sheep in the distance, maybe he sees Bethlehem, and he imagined he could hear his dad Jesse calling his seven brothers. The weather was hot at Bami and he lifts his lyre and he starts to play as he thinks of his life experiences and the key moments that has brought him to this moment. And very quickly the poem, the song starts to formulate in his mind as he starts to write this beautiful psalm under inspiration. We don't know all that David thought about that day, but under inspiration, he gives us some lovely things that we should be reflecting on. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou lightest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that often in our Christian walk we stumble and fail. Father, the walk of faith maybe is more difficult than what we first imagined. But Father, as we open the sacred text tonight, we pray that you will bless us, that you will inspire us, that you will thrill us we might leave more like our glorious Savior. Granted, for Christ's sake. Amen. I have preached many times on Psalm 23. 
I have used it at funerals. I've used it at weddings. And I've used it many a time out visiting my congregation. It's one of those psalms that seems to fit in to any given situation. And of course, it is a valley psalm. And a valley, to have a valley, you need to have two mountains. And Psalm 22 is a mountain psalm, and Psalm 22 Of course, Psalm 22 is Mount Calvary. And you have those wonderful words, I am a worm and no man. All that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot up out the lip. My verse one, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? My Mount Calvary. And then when you go over to Psalm 20, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in the place? There's Mount Zion. And, and in between you have the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you know, the deeper the valleys, it just makes those mountains all the higher. And in the difficulties of life, we can look back to Psalm 22 and say, well, he died for me. And we go to Psalm 24 and say, he lives for me and he's coming for me. Helps you in the valleys of life. But a day of reflection. David, in a day of reflection, what is it that David reflected on? And, and this is different for me. I'm using you as guinea pigs tonight. I hope that's okay. But I was trying to think of what David was reflecting on. And the first thing in verse 1 is reflecting on the issue of authority. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Authority was a big issue for David. He was the youngest boy of eight. And uh, his dad, no doubt, would shout, David, I need some water. I need you to go to the well. I need you to get water for the home. Deb would say, David, I want We need bread for the home. Benadab would say, no, I need him to help me in the field. Shammah would say, no, I want him to do a message for me. And so David had an issue with authority. He was being pulled in every direction. He was the gopher. <laughs> go for this, go for that, go for something else. It seemed as if being the youngest boy, he was always at the back and call of his family. David, do this. David, do that. But as David lies on the bank of the Judean hill, he lifts his the first thing that he, that he meditates on and he reflects on is the issue, the issue of authority. And he thinks, you know, of all the commands, of all the demands and orders that I face from day to day, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, saint of God and saint of a father and dictating our lives. But in the busyness of life, it often feels that we're being pulled in every direction. It seems as if that everybody is making their demands. And sometimes, like David, need to get onto the grassy bank and reflect on who really is in charge of our lives. The Lord is my shepherd. Often in my ministry, I felt like a crackerjack contestant. I'm, I'm, you're giving me age away. If you remember what a crackerjack... <laughs> it was a program that went, went for 30 years or thereabouts. 
In my day, it was Eamon, Eamon Andrews was in charge of it. And the, 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 some of the prizes you could get was a, a Cracker Jack pencil. Boy, those were simpler days. Eh? But I always remember at the end of the program, the highlight was a quiz. And they had the contestants, and Eamon Andrews would have asked questions, and every time they got a question wrong, they had to hold something, a teddy bear, a ball, a, 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 a tennis racket. Or, or so. And so they started, as the quiz went on, to hold all these things. And if you dropped something, you were... And many a time in my ministry, I felt like the crack contestant, and I was carrying that many things. Carrying the the weight of a fellow, a big fellowship and people with problems and difficulties and problems in oversight and problems in, in all kinds of areas and you were carrying all this and you were so scared of something dropping and you were disqualified. And maybe the item that fell was trivial in itself and people said, I don't know what the problem was, but they failed to see all the other things that were trying to be held up. And here David he wasn't thinking of Cracker Jack, of course, but thinking of all the demands and the pressures in his life. And he says, oh, put all those aside. The Lord is my shepherd. Grassy bank like David and declare the Lord is my shepherd. He is my authority. It's his voice that I obey. It's his word that I will keep. And when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of him being the Lord of our lives, when we lose sight of him being in control, we get spiritually cold. And the excitement and the passion fades, and church becomes a dry room. And we get negative and critical. But when you are captivated by the one who saved you, whenever you're captivated by the one who feeds you and keeps you and directs you, church becomes thrilling and exciting and powerful. It's a fresh encounter with the master. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have all that any occasion needs. So someone in Sainfield tonight, how do we know if the Lord is our shepherd? How do we know? Well, there, there, we could get a word. There's a simple way. If shepherd can also say, the shepherd is my Lord. The shepherd is my Lord. He's the one in control. He's the one who saved me. He's the one I'm relying on. He's the one I depend on. The person who can say the Lord is my shepherd can also say the shepherd is my Lord. I shall not want. The unsaved do not have all that they need. Backsliders do not have all that they need. But for those who are trusting the Savior, we will have all. David, in a day of reflection, first thing that comes into his mind as he's writing this song, the first thing we need to do 
in our life is to make sure that he has his rightful position, that first things are kept the priority of our lives, and that he is the one who's in authority. So reflecting. I wonder, just get beside you and everybody else go home, just you and me. And I said to me, tell me, does the Lord have his rightful place? Does he have sway? Is he in control? Not only authority, but David then moved tranquility. Look at verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. The issue is the issue of tranquility. Everybody today seems to be so stressed. Now it must be said, I think, that some people love the busyness. Some people love the adrenaline rush of having a full diary. And I know preachers who love when somebody rings them looking for a meeting and he says, Oh well, I think I have a Sunday in twenty twenty five. Because we have a concept that busyness equals spirituality. I have a back in my study. It says, Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. The barrenness of a busy life. And I confess to you, there was many times in my ministry when I was so busy. And I was running, chasing my tail, and I was everywhere. But I tell you, my walk with the Master was not what it ought to be. Of a busy life. I believe David was running about. Young man, he could see that busyness could ruin your joy and rob our hearts of its peace. And they could see the, the hectic life. Whenever I got saved, I, I went to Ballysillon Gospel Hall. Sammy will know it well. But a man who was there in oversight, Jimmy Murphy, used to say, busyness in the king's business is excuse for neglecting the king. <laughs> I thought that was good. Being in the king's business is no excuse for neglecting the king. I found to my cost, I could be involved in the king's business, and yet... Me and the king weren't really on speaking terms. And many a time I had to get back and go back to basics as a The slopes of Judea and he's reflecting who is in the place of authority. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But he also thinks of the, the time of tranquility. He suggests that I lie down, or, or he recommends that I lie down, or he advises that I that I lie, but he makes me lie down. There's times whenever God has to put us on our back, has to get us aside. To get he maketh me to lie down. Why? Because it's an absolute priority. You see, I hear preachers and they seem to suggest that God's priority is to get his people up and moving and active and motivated 
and we're to be in the go and keep moving. That's not his priority. God's number one priority is to get us to lie down in the green pastures. To get us to, to worship him and meditate on him and feed on the green pastures of his word because he knows if we meditate on him and love him and worship him, he'll not only have our hands, he'll have our heart. He'll not only have our head, but he'll have our emotions. God desperately needs people like we touched on Mary last week. No, Martha, you do the catering. You look after the pavlovas and the volivants and the sausage rolls. I'm going to sit at the master's feet. You know what the problem with the church is? We have 9,999 Marthas to every one Mary. And almost nobody. Everybody's programs and busyness and oh David in this meditation reflection David looks and he says now who's in control the the issue of authority oh the Lord is my shepherd that's step number one for all of us isn't it checking who's in in control ah but then step number two he says you need to Spend time alone with him. The the issue of tranquility. Be still and know that I am God. His disciples come ye apart into a desert place and rest away. My father used to say to me, Son, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. And you need those times whenever you get that time at his feet. When last did you switch off the phone, switch off the television, switch off the noise, the distractions, and sit on the green pastures beside the still waters to hear the still, small voice of God? To be nourished and to be blessed. I really don't know what it's like to have quietness. I have tinnitus in this ear. If you look closely, you'll see I have a hearing aid in. That helps to noise of it a wee bit. But at night when I'm going to bed, I take it out, and it's like a brass band starts in my head. Had it for years. First thing I do in the morning is turn on the music or turn on the television just to distract me. And even in those quiet times, man, it's hard to get peace. It's hard to get quietness. And you have to focus. And, and, and sometimes I'll start my quiet time with a wee hymn book and go through some of the hymns just to try and get something into my mind. Oh, says David. David, in a day of reflection, he says, reflect on this. Who's in authority? The Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd tonight? Is the shepherd your Lord? Then you can say, I'll have all that any occasion needs. Ah, but what David says, what about the what about the tranquility? What, what about those times when you lie beside the 
the green pastures and, and sitteth beside the still waters. When last did you spend time in the tranquility of his presence and say, Lord, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus to now. David, as he reflects, he's thinking of authority, verse 1. He's thinking of tranquility, verse 2. He's thinking of priority in verse 3. It says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's a priority. I think David smiled as he wrote those words in Hebrew. He restoreth my soul. Probably the most, or amongst the most comforting words in all of our Bible. Because it's saying there, there is always the possibility of spiritual recovery. God never writes us off. Christians do. Churches do. But God never does. He, he, he's in the business of restoring our soul. This is a spiritual priority. See, the truth of it is, dear saint of God, that we all struggle. And we look around the country, this Christianity thing sorted out, except me. And we're all thinking the same thing. <laughs> and we can say like the hymn writer, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we all stumble. And we have those moments of doubt. And we have a bad week or a bad month or maybe a bad year. But praise God, restoration is always possible. Can I say to you just in passing, be very wary of Christians and be very wary of preachers who seem to suggest that they never have any troubles. There's something strange about that. I often think, you know, of Paul writing to Timothy. First Timothy one fifteen, isn't it? This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Do you believe that? I don't. <laughs> I don't believe that. Paul was a giant spiritually. Paul was the man who started to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, who wrote the most of our New Testament. But that's not the point. Paul believed it. Paul believed it. You see, the closer Paul got to the Lord, the smaller he got. The, the more he walked with the Lord, the more he was aware of his own sinfulness. The more he got close to the Lord, and the he felt filthy. And Paul, as he writes, he says, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. I don't believe it. But Paul believed it. I remember, my wife's not here. Don't be telling her if you see her, will you, that I'm telling you a story. But I remember one time I was preparing for a meeting and, and I was lying on the top of the bed thinking of what I wanted to say and what I felt about it. Suddenly there was a beam of light came in the window. And all of a sudden I saw dust and cobwebs that I hadn't seen before. That I hadn't noticed them before. But all of a sudden with this bright light coming, all of a sudden revealed things that I 
I've noticed the idea. Oh, whenever God shines, my, he reveals things that maybe went unseen and unnoticed. It reveals the cobwebs and the dust and the filth that maybe never has been dealt with. Oh, we feel like the chief of them. But for the grace of God, where would we be? The priority. He restores my soul. How many times have I made use of that? (laughs) Almost every day. Sometimes three, four, five times, six times a day. He restores my soul. What a God we have. Uh, But notice, please, notice the verse. He doesn't restore your soul so you can go back and do the same things again. No, no, no. Listen to it. He restoreth my soul so that he might lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores me so I'll go on the right path and walk in the right way because his name is at stake. For my name's sake. You see, if we sin as believers, we're dragging him into the gutter. And he says, no, I'll restore your soul so that you will walk in paths that are right because my name's at stake for name's sake. Whenever I was going out as a teenager, just learnt to drive, heading out the door, my father would have said, son, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Now, he meant two things. He meant, son, you're a professing Christian. Remember, you represent Christ. Remember whose you are. But he meant also, son, remember you're a candidate. If you do something silly out there, it's a reflection on the whole family. Remember whose you are. That's the idea in verse 3. He restoreth my soul in order that he might lead me in paths that are right for his name's sake. You see, if you sin, it brings disgrace to you. And it drags the name of Christ into the gutter. He doesn't restore you so that you're walking. Your life can continue. So that you may walk in paths that are righteous for his. In the day of reflection. Thinking of authority, verse 1, who's in control? I can't answer that for you, you have to answer that one. And then verse 2, he's meditating, he's reflecting on the issue of tranquility. Sitting beside the green banks, sitting beside the tranquil waters, the refreshing of his soul. And then verse priority. He restores my soul. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe this has been a difficult day. I want to tell you, you of God, He can restore your soul tonight. So you can walk in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I'm trying to keep an eye on my time. David is meditating. He's reflecting. He talks about authority, verse 1. Tranquility, verse 2. Priority, verse 3. Then he comes to verse 4. Reliability. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's reliability. Isn't it? 
David is thinking of those dark times of life, frightening, foreboding. The very shadow of death crosses his path. My, those times aren't easy. Whenever you can't share with the tears fall, whenever your heart is broken and, and, and life crumbles around you. And sometimes people come and quote verses and they mean well, dear, to love them. But they haven't been in your shoes. They haven't walked where you walked. They mean well. Ah, but says the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley times of life, in the valley dark times when, when death seems to permeate, I will not fear. Because you're going to be with me. Reliability. In the dark evil days, that's when most abandon you. In the dark evil days, that's when friends stab you in the back. That, that's the time whenever it's not nice, but the people you thought were close are disappear like the, like the steam off a bank. But listen, David says, listen, in the valley times of life, the Lord will not abandon you. And the Lord will not stab you in the back. No, he will come and he will help you. Notice it speaks about the rod and the staff. What's the difference between a rod and the staff? A rod was a club. <laughs> it was a weapon. The staff was far gentler. It was to pick the sheep up out of the crevice and maybe we shuck the toe, but shuck the ball. I mean, to lift it out of the shuck and get you back up again, guide you along life's journey. God has, he's a rod. Remember hearing a story about a wee crofter's cottage away up on the hillside. And a lady was out walking and it started to turn nasty. The rain started to come on. She saw that in the wee crofter's cottage there was a fire lit. The smoke was coming up. She thought, I'll go and shelter up there. And she made her way up and she went in the door, knocked the door, went in. And here is a shepherd and a wee lamb. And the wee lamb is sitting beside the fire all bandaged up. And she says, what happened to wee lamb? The shepherd says, I broke his leg. Say, what? I broke his leg. Oh, you're a bad shepherd. He says, no, no, I'm not a bad shepherd. I love that wee sheep. But he was always going astray. Always getting into trouble. Always going places he shouldn't go. He was going to be killed. I broke his leg. And now I'm nursing him back to health. And you see, by the time he's finished, he'll never leave my side. Huh? Never leave my side. He's getting used to me. Getting familiar with me. God at times has used the rod on me. To drive me close. So that I'll learn never to leave his side. And there's the staff to help us through life. Maybe you're in the dark place, a deep valley, a shadow of guilt, a shadow of sin, a shadow of pain, a shadow of worry and unemployment. But isn't it great to know our shepherd is 100% reliable. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. David is reflecting. Authority, verse 1. Tranquility, verse 2. 
priority, verse 3. Reliability, verse 4. Verse 5, he now moves into the area of hospitality. In the midst of trouble, when the enemy is lurking, the Lord sets a table of abundant provision. I prepared the table before me in the presence of me. The table speaks of two things in the Bible. It speaks of nourishment and it speaks of David plays and maybe he's on the banks of the Judean hillside and he's looking forward to the table Father Jesse according to the Jewish Talmud his mother was Nitzave and according to First Chronicles 12 he had two half-sisters um, um, Zeruah uh, Abigail, I think, is the other one. I'm at 12 round the table. That would have been a noisy table, wouldn't it? I mean, I had three, and when the five was round the table, it was noisy. But all round that table, that was the centre of family life. It was a noisy affair with 12 around the table. There was a focus of David's house. The crack, the food, the chat, the humour, the sharing, the tears. It all happened around the table. In the dark time, when the enemy is on the prowl, you've seen the, the pictures of the, the lions in the Serengeti and they see the wildebeest. What does it do? It doesn't go after the biggest or the fastest or the leader. It looks for the stragglers. Those who can't keep up. Those who don't really want, don't really like the crowd. And he picks out the one that's a wee bit lame or a wee bit slow or a wee bit behind the rest. That's the target. You know what I find in pastor? I guess he'll attack the pastor in the oversight, of course, and the leadership. But he always looks for a Christian who's just that wee bit behind. Comes out now and again. Gets involved now and again. Doesn't get too excited. And there he says, there's my target. The straggler. Not really up with the crowd. Just hangers on. In the dark times when the enemy is busy, looking for the stragglers, the Lord provides a table. Can I say to you, dear saint of God, don't neglect nourishment. Food of God's word. You'll get better preachers than me, I know that. You'll get a lot more ministry that's deeper than what I can give. I, I understand that. But don't neglect to get your soul fed. And not only the nourishment, the fellowship, the spiritual encouragement from God's people. My one need it. And could I say something? I'm being a wee bit uh, sensitive here. You will forgive me. But you cannot fully appreciate the nourishment and the fellowship on a TV screen. Hmm? Can't really. It's great out there. Great facility. We needed it during COVID. I understand that. But there is no substitute than meeting one with another to enjoy the fellowship and enjoy the nourishment. 
he anoints my head with oil. Verse number five. See, David, I think immediately when he was writing that in his Hebrew on the banks of the Judean hills, I think immediately his mind would go to the day that Samuel arrived and anoints him as the future king. First Samuel 16. It speaks of sanctification, set apart for God. And David thought of that as he said, he anoints my head with what God sets it apart for his exclusive use. There's another thought that could come in. David was a shepherd, you see. And on tied to his belt, he would have had a wee cruise of oil. And, and as David deep into the fold, with, with expert fingers, he would have run his fingers over the wee head and along the body and the, the, the tail end, down the leg. And he, he's looking for a wee cut, an abrasion, a bruise, a scar. And where he found it, he got the wee lamp between his legs and he got the oil out. He rubbed the oil in to the bruise and the cut, the abrasion. Speaking of healing, he anoints my head with oil. Now, us Baptists don't like talking about healing. It's a wee bit embarrassing. Can I say to you lovingly, our God has lost none of his ancient power. Not today. But God can, if he so chooses, can touch a soul and touch a body and touch a life. And if ever someone comes to you and says, God heal me, you praise God with them. Because our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think according to the power that worketh in us. He rubs in the oil. He anoints my head with oil, the soothing oil of comfort and healing. And then it says, my cup runneth over always used to think that that just meant that God was so generous he gives and it's overflowing. There's such an abundance. Maybe that's what it is. But I remember years ago having a group out in Israel and there's a wee Bedouin man that come to know Ahmed who uh, lives outside Jerusalem in his tent but he brings his camels into Jerusalem during tourist season. Whenever he sees me, he gets me up on the camel and gives me a ride. And then he charges all the group to get on. the. They're filthy animals. Don't get on it. But anyway. But this particular year, Ahmed said, Pastor, will you bring the people to see my house? I said, well, we're very busy. With it. Oh, please come and see my house. So the next morning, we got up early, end of the coach. We drove out to the outskirts. Had to walk over two fields over to his, I told the people, don't be drinking the coffee. You don't know what kind of water they've used, don't be drinking, but there are the people knocking back the cup. And his two wives come out with the coins in their head. The kids come out and danced. And I said, look, I'm tell them what it's like to live in the wilderness, in the desert. So we started to talk to him about life in the desert. And one of the things he talked about was the law of hospitality. And he says, if someone is traveling and they come to your tent, there's no bed and breakfast in no hotels. You have to offer them a bed. But there's rules. You're not allowed to ask them their name. 
That's bad manners. You not allowed to ask them why they're traveling. That's bad form. And you're not allowed to ask them how long they're going to stay. <laughs> so I said, Ahmed, what happens if you're stuck with them and they don't go? Well, he says, we have that covered. He says, while they're welcome to stay, whenever they get coffee, we fill it to the brim. And whenever it's time for them to go, we give them half a, half a cup of coffee. And when they get half a cup of coffee, they know that their, their time's up. And they pack up their belongings, without a word said, say cheerio, away they go. And that night in the hotel, I took, read Psalm 23. My cup runneth over. He never wants me to leave. He never wants me to go. He's never tired of my company. He never wants me to move on. He, my cup's running over. In a day of reflection, the authority, verse 1. Tranquility, verse 2. Priority, verse 3. Reliability, verse 4. Hospitality, verse 6. David thinks about eternity. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I thought that that meant that everywhere I went in life, that I would know the, the goodness and the mercy of God. Because I'm indwelt by His Spirit, and so I'll, I'll know that as I go through life. And then about, it must have been 30 years ago now, my kids were small, my son Jeffrey's 40 this year, so it must be 30 years ago maybe, we were down in large deal in the school. And it's evening time. The sun was out. The water was like, like glass. So peaceful. And then a wee boat went out. And as the boat went out, you saw the two lines coming from the boat. And I immediately thought of this verse. Goodness and mercy shall follow in my wake all the days of my life. You see, I go through life. I should leave goodness and mercy in my wake. Whenever I meet people in Balamina, they shouldn't be running into shops so they don't have to talk to me, but they should say, something about I love meeting Lawrence Kennedy. He does my heart good. He, he, he owes that soul. And I should leave goodness and mercy following me. All the days of my life, goodness and mercy should follow in my week. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That thought alone gives me cause for reflection. I, me, (laughs) I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Blessed be his name. I never deserved it. But he reached down and saved me. And because of that, I will be with Jesus forever and forever and forever. Francis Chan, 
And he's famous for this illustration. He brought into the church the rope. And he put the rope around a big building and out the door. And he said, this rope is like our life. And he says, it goes out that door, goes right across America, across the Atlantic Ocean, through Europe, and it just keeps on going, just keeps on going, just keeps on going. It never stops. It's eternity. And then at one end, he had this wee tiny red bit. He says, yeah, we read that life on earth. And what we do with Jesus Christ in this that determines what we will spend eternity. And in this we read bit, we get worried about who says what and what did what and uh, whether the pension's going to pay. We all got all got concerned about this wee tiny, tiny bit. That's only a wee tiny bit. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, in a day of authority, the Lord is my shepherd. Tranquility, take time to sit down in the green pastures to worship him. Priority, he restores my soul. Reliability, he will never leave. Yea, you I go through the valley of his shadow death. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, the Lord's presence. Vitality, the lavish table, eternity. The house of the Lord forever. I know you know it. Psalm 23, you, you learned this in Sunday school. But David, in a day of reflection, what a wonderful psalm to feed our souls. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, Psalm 23 is so familiar. We know it back to front. We quoted to our children. We quote it in our prayers. We quote it in our meetings. But Father, we pray as we have looked at it, I trust afresh tonight. We pray that it might bless our souls. Father, we thank you for this series of David. Father, just wee glimpses, just wee surface thoughts from the life of this godly saint. Father, we pray that it might feed our souls and bless us in our walk heavenward and homeward. Bless as we now go to prayer. Give guidance as we seek your face. For we ask it in the Saviour's name.